Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So here we are in the days leading up to Christmas. It's the third week of Advent, uh, but the fourth week is, well, it's really just a day. Um, not even a day. It's Well, it's the Sunday, the fourth Sunday, which is also Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'm going to dig further into this great gift of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, confession. I touched upon it um, last week, but there's so much more to say. I'm going to dive into it today on the program. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So uh, let's let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of our, our lives. I thank you for the gift of faith. Lord Jesus, I ask that you give us the grace to welcome your mercy in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Lord our God, um, we do not deserve your mercy. But we don't come before you because we deserve it. We come before you because you offer mercy to us. But I ask that you would give us grace to have confidence in you, that you are a forgiving God, that you are a loving God, that you give us the, the urge, the graces, and, and the opportunity, Lord, to approach you to be healed, to be healed of our spiritual disease, which is sin. Lord Jesus, please help us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So today in the program, I have, uh, I've got my, I've got a book in my hand called Consen uh, Confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life. I wrote that book. I wrote it because confession was one of the, those great gifts that God has given to us that we have run away from. We've run away from that gift rather than run towards it. But I actually, the, the analogy I use in the beginning of the confession book is it's not so much that we, we, it's true that we run from the confessional, but we've been swindled. We freely give away something that is precious, that is uh, valuable, and instead re receive in return something that is um, of less value, but in this instance, of uh, of tremendous de detriment to our life of faith. And that is when we give up, when we give over the practice of going to confession, we miss out on so much. We miss out on so many graces. I do thank God for the gift of a, I don't know, I don't think I'd call it a full swing revival, but I would say that there is a uh, an awakening appreciation for the gift of confession, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Especially the pendulum has swung back from, let's say, 25, 30 years ago 
uh, when I first moved out here with Kerry, there was definitely a sense of aversion to the practice of individual confession and individual confession in the traditional form where you're not looking the priest in the eyes uh, in, in what would be more of a modern reconciliation room format. So a traditional confessional, traditional individual confession was not emphasized. It was, in practice, it was crowded out or just it was ignored. It was not emphasized, very sadly, and to great detriment to the spiritual lives of people. I've, I've told the story before, but I think within a year of coming here, Carrie and I got involved with one of her sisters who was leading a confirmation class at, uh, at a parish um, on the west side in the Puget Sound area in South Seattle. And, and she needed some, uh, some help, some team members to help her with the formation program. And so Carrie and I signed up along with a couple of her brothers. And uh, we got the task of having a small group of young uh, of these high schoolers that we would help walk with over the course of the year, to the, the school year, to prepare them for uh, confirmation. And so as we approached the spring and confirmation was looming, I, I brought up the topic of, well, we, we need to go to confession before we receive confirmation. You guys need to go to confession before you receive confirmation. And they kind of looked at me a little bit like, what? What are you talking about? And I started asking them about their own personal spiritual practice of going to confession. And the right around the circle, all these Catholic young people, uh, the answers were, and they're in high school, they were like, um, well, when was the last time you went to confession? And they were like, um, I went, my first confession, my first reconciliation was the only time I ever went. Oh yeah, me too, me too. And someone said, oh, I went on a, like a search retreat and I went to confession there, but that was the only other time other than my first reconciliation. And then someone else said, well, I never went. They said, oh yeah, yeah, you did. You were in our class. We had, we had, we had confession. What are you talking about? Well, don't you remember when the priest said, just come up and whisper one word into our ear? And it's like, that was confession? I mean, I'm laughing. I, that is not laughing matter. That's horrible. That is terrible. That's a tragedy that these high school young men and women brought up Catholic, baptized Catholic, received first Eucharist received First Holy Communion. They were going to a Catholic church. They probably going to a Catholic school. They're at the parish for you know many of their eight years. And now here they are in high school. And none of them, except one, and, and that was only by chance, happenstance, had ever gone to confession more than the, the first time they ever went to confession. And even that time, it was, it was a travesty. It was a tragedy. It was terrible. It shows a radical lack of understanding, appreciation, and care for 
the sacraments as means through which God communicates his very life to us and of the very special place, brothers and sisters, the special gift that confession is in our spiritual lives. And and so, again, hearing this, I was like, guys, I, I was on a mission. I was on a mission, and the mission was, I got to teach them about the gift of this sacrament. And so I went through a series of sessions with them and taught them about the importance of and the power, the blessing of going to confession as this source of peace, of reconciliation, of spiritual resurrection, of strengthening against sin, of healing, of damage caused by sin, of giving a, a reviving of the spiritual life, of granting a greater sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit, uh, awakening conscience, and uh, giving you a sense of disgust about the sin you've committed. Like all these beautiful fruits that come from going to confession when it's done well, and the impact that that has on your spiritual lives. And and for these kids, it was like, I've never heard any of this. I never heard any of this. I thought confession was when you went up and you whispered one word into the ear of the priest, because that's what we were told to do. And then he gave us all absolution as a group. And so I'm like, okay, this, let's change this. So after spending like several weeks preparing them, I gave them a, a nice examination of conscience to utilize and gave them a chance to say, okay, let's make sure you're prepared to go to confession. And we were going to um, penance service at the parish during Lent. And so they were so excited. They were so excited. So we went, and the church was packed, packed for this penance service. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. All these people are coming to go to confession. Well, you probably know where this is going, right? We At the penance service, there were some songs, some reading of scripture, reading of some prayers, and there was some common prayer that everybody read. And then the priest says out loud, it was him and another priest, he said, well, there are only two of us, and there are far too many of you out there for us to possibly hear all of your confessions individually, so we have the option of granting you general absolution. And so I'm going to offer absolution to all of you because there's too many of you for us to hear your confessions. And my jaw dropped. Like, this is happening? This is, this is how Catholics are being formed to, to live their faith? And he gave absolution? They did a closing song, everybody leaves. And the kids that I'm with, the kids that are part of my confirmation group, they're looking at me and they're thinking, is that it? What just happened? I'm like, come with me right now. Let's go. So we went like making a beeline for the front of the church, got a priest. And, and, and you know, the priest says they were kind of cleaning things up. I said, Father, Father, hey, look, these kids, they're in your confirmation class. They've been preparing to go to confession. Can, can we please, can we give them the chance to, to go to confession to you individually in the confessional? And so he and the other priest, what are they going to say? Well, actually, we've got a table reserved at the restaurant. we we got to head out. Um, no. They said, yes, we can do that. And so the priests went 
into the confessionals, two, two confessionals, the kids lined up, and one after the other, they went in to the confessional. And afterwards, thank the priests. We gathered back together, and those kids were like, that was amazing. That was so cool. I feel such relief. I feel so light, like lifting a burden. And I'm like, yeah. And, and so it was a it was a real celebration of the gift of that sacrament. And one of the things that I do in this book, Confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life, is I bring out the reality that a sacrament is a place of promised encounter. You might wonder, like, where can I encounter Jesus Christ? Where can I encounter him? Where can I know that I will meet Jesus? And it's in the sacraments that Jesus promises, he promises to meet us. And I love that. In fact, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, in his document, Redeemer of Man, his first papal encyclical, he talks about confession and listen to what he says about it. He says, it is necessary that in confession, there should be a pronouncement by the individual himself with the entire depth of his conscience and with the whole of his sense of guilt and of trust in God, placing himself like the psalmist before God to confess, against you have I sinned. In faithfully observing the centuries-old practice of the sacrament of penance, the practice of individual confession with a personal act of sorrow and the intention to amend and make satisfaction, the Church is therefore defending the human soul's individual right, our right to a more personal encounter with the crucified, forgiving Christ. Okay, did you hear that? Our right to a more personal encounter with the crucified, forgiving Christ. With Christ saying through the minister of the sacrament of reconciliation, your sins are forgiven. Go and do not sin again. As is evident, this is also a right on Christ's part with regard to every human being redeemed by him. His right to meet each one of us in that key moment in the soul's life constituted by the moment of conversion and forgiveness. That is so powerful. That's from uh, Redemptor Harmonies, Redeemer of Man, paragraph 20, where the Pope in his first encyclical, he teaches about the power of confession. He teaches about the power of confession. It's a place of encounter with Christ. And when we de-emphasize, when we obscure, when we ignore, when we avoid, when we denigrate this sacrament, we are being dismissive of and failing to honor and recognize what Jesus Christ himself established to be a place of encounter where we can approach God, 
We can approach the living God through Jesus. We can approach the living Lord Jesus who suffered and died for me, for my sins. I can approach him with my conscience and my contrition, and I can say, I am so sorry. I did it. Forgive me. And Jesus has that privileged access to the core of our being to say, I forgive you. Be healed. Go and sin no more. That's the powerful encounter that the sacrament of penance and reconciliation offers to Catholics. And we are in a season when that sacrament ought to be accessed by the faithful. I'm going to tell a story about that in just a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back with you today. So I'm talking about confession and honestly, what got me uh, inspired was a long line. Uh, I, I'm actually, I think that's so cool. So people send us down insight on Monday. You heard Father Lewis. We talked about confession a bit and he said, Hey, I'm offering confession every day at St. Mary's. And so we were paying attention. And so we, uh, we first wanted to go on Friday night. And so too long of a line had to leave. So Monday, uh, no, was it Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday. So I, I on Tuesday, I'm like, I'm going. And Carrie's like, okay, we got kids that want to go. I want to go. Let's go line up. Let's get there. And uh, it was from between four and five in the afternoon. And I showed up at 4.15. Bad idea. It was more than 45 minutes of a line waiting before confession. And I'm like, I, I, I'm getting crowded out. I am getting crowded out by the line of people waiting to go to confession. And so I called Carrie. I said, Carrie, don't bother coming. We were coming in two cars. I said, just turn around. We're never going to make it. We have to go tomorrow. Let's go early. So uh, Wednesday, um, I knew I wasn't going to make it. I had a basketball practice, but Carrie had it kind of dialed in. And it was like, we're going to get there 15 minutes early. I'm like, that's the only safe bet to get there 15 minutes early and you'll be good to go. <laughs> Grace is like, about our oldest, she's back home and, and she's like, dad, what's the confession tomorrow? Is there any place else to go to confession? And I'm like, well, what happened? We got there 15 minutes early. The line stretched from the door of the church all the way up to the altar, the entire length of the church. There was a line of people 15, minutes before confession started. And 
I just said, I mean, I'm just like, wow. Now that, that's so cool. Now it's unfortunate, right? It's unfortunate, but it's also amazing. It's beautiful. There's, there is this awakening. I was saying at the beginning of the program, it feels like there's maybe hasn't reached revival level yet, but there is a definite awakening of the power and importance of making a regular confession, a good confession. And when, when you realize there's something at stake, when you realize that there is a damage to, an impediment to, a damaging of one's relationship with the Lord, then all of a sudden, the importance of getting to confession gets higher. Just as a for instance, on Sunday, we went to Mass together as a family. And let's see, I had at that point seven of my nine kids home. So there were nine of us at Mass. And I think four, four of my kids, oh, four of my family did not receive communion. Wow. That's strong. No, no, why wouldn't they come forward and receive Holy Communion? Uh, they're practicing Catholics, and in their practice of the faith, what they have come to be sensitized to is that receiving Holy Communion is meant to be a means of expressing and deepening the communing, the union with the Holy God, the communion with Jesus Christ ought to be expressed and deepened by receiving Holy Communion. But if there is something that has damaged, diminished, or broken that relationship, sin, and that sin is serious, then my kids, my family, Carrie and I, we know, do not go forward to receive Holy Communion. And that's really powerful. That is really powerful. Of course, afterwards, I, I pull these individual family members aside, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? No, I, I don't do that. <laughs> but i got to tell you what, I respect it. I respect it that... You know, my family members are growing in our sensitivity, our conscience, our sense of the living voice of God that says, I haven't honored God in, in things that are important, and I should not go forward to receive Holy Communion. That's powerful. If we had that sense of restraining ourselves and saying, even though no one will know, no, no one, no one's, you know, there's no sin detector, right? At the ed edge of the pew, there's no sin. You don't pass through a sin detector before you present yourself to receive Holy Communion. Not, that doesn't happen. But anybody can go forward and receive Holy Communion. But you and God know. Well, God knows. And maybe we, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we aren't sufficiently alert and aware 
to what's going on in our hearts and the damage that comes to our spiritual lives when we receive Holy Communion and we're not in a state of grace. And so confession is the path back to receiving Holy Communion. So I'm going to help my kids look for other opportunities or show up at St. Mary's 30 minutes early. Obviously, 15 minutes wasn't enough. But, and again, I say it out loud. I mean, come on, this is a place that has confession, it's having confession on Fridays, and it has it on Saturdays. And, and then it was having a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And each of these days, it's full. I love that. What a beautiful sign. Honestly, that's a sign of vibrancy. That's a sign of spiritual vitality. So I'm going to, I want to talk a bit about that. I want to talk a bit about spiritual vitality that is connected to one or two. I'm going to, I may be able to cover two of the acts of the penitent. If we're going to go to confession, we need to have certain uh, spiritual attitude. We need to have a spiritual uh, condition in place, right? And and by that, I don't mean, well, you only get to go to confession if you sin. I don't mean that. <laughs> so go sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to have con- contrition. We need to have contrition for our sins. And that's the that's the part of um, they, you know, when you think about the acts of the penitent, one is the act of confessing, I did it. It's that second act that says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did it. It's not just acknowledging that I did it. It's acknowledging that I'm truly penitent. I feel a sense of disgust that I have done that. I feel a sense of uh, rejection to the that act itself that I I I abhor that and I want to eliminate that from my life. I am so deeply sorry for what I've done. So I, I want to explore with you a bit about this powerful and important act of of contrition, feeling contrite. So like to give you an example of the power of contrition. Um, there was a time in my life where I experienced something that is associated when they talk about pain, they associate the the sharpness and the intensity of that pain with childbirth, which I don't know anything about other than by witnessing it. <laughs> and I, the pain I'm talking about is having a kidney stone. Um, I, one night woke up with this, just like, it's like someone took a knife and stabbed me in the back, uh, the lower back. And I was just like, Oh, I was just, it was killing me. It was so bad. The pain, I had to go to the emergency room and I'd never done that before. Never gone to the emergency room out of pain. We didn't know what it was. We didn't even think it was a kidney stone. We just didn't know because I'd never had one. And, um, and the doctor comes in, he did an x-ray, and he says, he came in and says, oh, it's a kidney stone. And he said it was, um, he told me that the size of it was, it was something like five millimeters. Um, I might have that wrong, but he said that the, the size of it was such that um, 
it was it was big enough that it could pass on its own, but it was also at that size where uh, what they could do is they could um, have me uh, come in and this treatment where they would like send these like focused sound waves at it and it would kind of crush the stone. I don't know how they do that, but that's amazing. The first option was just take painkillers until it passed. And I thought, well, I've never gone through this before. And that whole idea of doing the, um, the uh, hyper-focused sound waves to crush the stone and then let it pass more easily didn't make sense to me. So I said, I mean, the painkillers, we'll get through this. That was really not very smart. <laughs> I, and I got to tell you, um, what happened well, I want to give you in this example was this, is that even though it, you know, it sounded more effective and less painful, um, the idea of using those sound waves that would uh, blast the thing into minute particles, I said, I, I wanted to do the, the pain killing option. I thinking I just pretend the kidney stone wasn't there and I could mask the pain with the painkillers and when necessary, uh, when necessary, and then the hope, I would hope that the stone would exit sooner than later with less pain rather than more. Now, the downside was that it didn't do anything to actually remedy the cause of the pain. It only masked the unfortunate effects of the kidney stone. And the, the way that it dealt with it, dealt with the effects of the kidney stone, the pain, was by making me less effective. I couldn't drive while I was on the painkillers, and I was basically useless until the effects of the medication wore off. And um, I got to tell you, that is for me a bit of insight into the concept of contrition. Um, when we talk about this sense of feeling a sense of disgust, of deep, true, authentic sorrow for our sins, that's called contrition. And um, when we say that I'm sorry for my sins, we ought to be expressing this sense of contrition. And there's a reason why. The reason is, is that there's something within us, not that is kidney stone hard, but the scripture refers to something that is hardened in our lives that is associated with the state of being a sinner. And you've probably heard of it called a hardened heart. And so not the hardened kidney stone, but the hardened heart is a condition that the faithful can fall into in the Old Testament referred to as having a hardened heart. And there's a God-given remedy. And the God-given remedy for the hardened heart is contrition. And um, when you like think about in the Old Testament, right? God is leading, he sends Moses to lead his people, but they won't follow, right? They have a hardened heart. God sends prophets to teach his people, but they refuse to listen. God chooses kings to ensure that his law is kept, but they give lip service to the law and their hearts are far from him. In all these examples, God is encountering in his people a hardened heart. And they harden their hearts by resisting him, by refusing to submit their will to his will. And is there any good result from this? No, never, never. In fact, it only leads to the punishment of having the effects of their sins 
come down upon their lives, come down upon them as a people. And, and so the question becomes, what does it mean to say that there's a hardened heart? Well, we have to go back to the meaning of the term heart first. One of my favorite passages in the Catechism is 2563, where it defines the heart. I love this. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful definition of, because if we're going to have a hardened heart, we better know what the heart is. Well, this is what the Catechism says. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. And only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision, deeper than our psychic drives. It's the place of truth, where we choose life or death. It's the place of encounter. Because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenant. And so what is that place where I, the I, the, the sense of self, the person, that's where we dwell. So we have that, that center, that experience of being at the center of ourselves. And that place where we encounter ourselves as spiritual beings, where we encounter God, and we choose to live well in relationship with him or not. Okay, now what happens when we're hardening our hearts to God? This is a big deal. When we come back, let's talk more about this and then talk about contrition as a remedy. Welcome to this reflection and sharing with you about the gift of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation about confession. Go to confession, go to confession. One of the keys to having a fruitful confession, one of the keys to having a life-giving uh, confession, it's not just the act of going, right? And even the act of going and having a list, right? That Hopefully, that list is thorough, and it's the fruit of an examination of conscience, right? So making a good examination of conscience. If you're not sure what a good examination of conscience looks like, I'll give you a couple of sources. The source that almost pretty much all of you can access is the internet. Type in Catholic Examination of Conscience, and you'll get more than your fair share. If you want to get one that will really make you humble, put down traditional Catholic Examination of Conscience. Ouch. I thought I had a pretty good Examination of Conscience until I read the traditional one. This came from the traditional Latin mass. It's <laughs> like, Kerry went through it. It was pages long. It was so humbling, but it was rigorous. Oh my goodness. Okay. And, and I mean, it was, it was like, a, uh, it was a deep cleansing. It was what it was. Okay. So, uh, examination of conscience, right? So that you're going to confess correctly. I did it, but I want to talk about fostering contrition, sorrow. Because the goal here is that when we express that sense of deep sorrow for our sins, we'll bring about the effect that contrition intends to have. Contrition is this remedy for the hardened heart. I want you to hear that again. What is our hardened heart, right? Our hardened heart is when we refuse God. It's what happens when we choose 
to not listen to the Lord. Where we, who have been given so many good gifts by God, we refuse to accept or respect the covenant or promise that I made to him, to the Father, to be his faithful adopted son in Jesus. I'm choosing to defend myself against his offer of assistance, guidance, and strength. It's like, you know, when someone puts their hands over their ears when they're trying to be corrected, little kids will do that. I can't hear you. I'm not listening, right? Sometimes we can try to do that uh, towards God. And that's what happens when we sin. Uh, We are putting our hands over our spiritual ears. See, when we sin, we're refusing to yield refusing to yield to God's Holy Spirit. Yield, think of like when you're driving down the road, you see a yield sign. It means that two roads are coming into one, right? And what is it when you're yielding? When you yield, you're saying that the other person has the right of the way. The other person has the right to go first. And in the spiritual life, one of the verbs that is used in association with the Holy Spirit and in our relationship with the Holy Spirit is learning how to yield to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit can move in us. It can move us if we are docile, receptive, willing to be led, willing to be moved if we are willing to yield. And so when we refuse to yield, we're choosing, with greater or less awareness, to resist God's loving guidance. I'm willfully refusing to listen to God's truth speaking in my conscience. And when we do this, we're choosing to do it my way. I did it my way. That's, that's sort of the theme song of your life in sin. And so this can happen little things and in big things, right? Whenever we're tempted to sin, there's a prompting of God's Holy Spirit and the grace we need. To, re- to refuse to yield to the temptation. And when we give in, our heart begins to harden. And, and, and you know, that does, that does not end well, right? When we ignore the nagging sense of following a prompting, maybe it's to share your faith in Jesus, maybe it's to reach out to someone who needs help, Maybe it's to refuse to ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness. Maybe it's to entertain impure thoughts rather than reject them. It's giving in to temper outbursts rather than controlling it, wasting time, um, you know, on divide, on on uh, connected devices, um, and ignoring that that little pug to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Um, all of those things, all of those things that we do because they're inconvenient or they're not easy, uh, we can, what do we do? We rationalize our non-involvement in pursuing the Lord or doing things for the Lord or, uh, you know, in, in fulfilling our, our sense of mission. Uh, these, uh, when we refuse to, to, to affirm, speak uplifting thoughts, tender words, affirming words to our spouse, because it would be awkward or foreign or because we're mad at them, right? Um, or, we all of these things are what all these are examples of things that we do where we're refusing to yield to the Holy Spirit, and the result is our heart becomes hardened. And the the effects of this are they build up, 
right? They build up. It's sort of like, uh, you know, Carrie always says, kids, floss your teeth, brush and floss your teeth every day. If you don't floss, you're going to get the plaque building up, right? You're going to get a bigger and bigger uh, set of blockage happening in your heart. And it's not going to exit on its own. That's not the way it works. And so when we harden our heart, it's going to lead towards a further hardening of our hearts. And you know what? The effects are worse than a kidney stone. They're worse. And you can experience excruciating pain from a kidney stone, but what about the hardened heart that resists God and refuses to yield to his gracious promptings? It's going to result in a spiritual pain in the deepest core of our being. That's the emptiness. That's the ache. That's the restlessness. That's the sense of darkness, confusion. Uh, that's that sense of, of feeling just weighed down by life. Uh, that some of that is traced back to a hardened heart. Now, you've got a couple of choices. Like the kidney stone, you can seek a path of pulverization. You can pulverize that kidney stone. You can pulverize the hardened heart. You can crush the hardened heart. Or you can, can try to uh, take painkillers. You can try to take spiritual painkillers to mask the pain of the hardened heart. And stop and think about it. Right? How do we mask the deep pain that's in our hearts from hardened hearts? What are the modern-day modern day painkillers for hardened hearts? Uh, I mean, literally, you can look at painkillers, right? People that prescribe medication for, uh, you know, psychological conditions that are not simply associated with psychological and, and mental illnesses, but also can be traced back to spiritual sickness. Um, and so, um, but how many people are using medication in an attempt to, to address spiritual pain of a hardened heart? manifests itself as anxiety, depression, or other symptoms. And that's different, right, than helping people manage uh, their physiological, neurological, genetic, or psychological illnesses, right? I'm not talking about those. Um, what, about, um, what about staying busy? Staying busy is a, is a great way to, to involve ourselves in so many projects that we might find fragments of meaning that just give us a sense of purpose. And as long as as that's happening, we don't have to deal with the larger sense of emptiness and the spiritual suffering that is in our lives. How about the, the masking strategy of involving ourselves in intense experiences where we can lose ourselves, like video games, right? Or again, just so many of these um, platforms on the internet. Or working out at a gym, gambling, drinking, drugs, a career, romantic relationship, uh, tons of other things, right? What's common, what can, what, what is, let's say, a thread among all of them is there's a capacity that they all have to suck more and more of our life into them in an attempt to experience something that is that much more intense to cover over that spiritual pain. And it might be temporarily satisfying, but it's never fulfilling. And so intensity is never going to be a replacement for the, the pain in the depth of our hearts. And so it's, it's deep calling into deep, right? It's the Lord. It's Psalm 42.7. It's the Lord who's calling us uh, to uh, 
find our fulfillment in him. You know, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That's St. Augustine, right? In the, in the confessions. And so what the Lord has given to us is a remedy to pulverize our hardened hearts. And that's what contrition is. That's what saying sorry is. Um, so when we come back, I'm going to talk a bit about the way in which contrition acts like a pulverizing power of hardened hearts. And, and that is so critical to having fruitful confession in our lives. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kearns. Great to be with you. So today on the program, I'm reflecting on the power and importance of going to confession. Make it to confession this week. In this Advent season, it's not too late. Find out when confession is happening at your parish and get there. There's so much power there. But if it's going to bear fruit, then we ought to make that good examination of conscience to have the sins that we're going to accuse ourselves of. But we have to pray for the gift of contrition. The gift of this deep sorrow and even disgust for the sins that we've committed. Now, I, I've been ta- teaching and talking about this reality that contrition is a um, it is a means of uh, of pulverizing a hardened heart. Now, um, the human heart, the way that Saint Augustine defines it, is that we were made as having this capacity to receive God. We're made for God, not just by God. So nothing else is going to satisfy that deep in our heart. And so how do we how do we crush the cause of the pain, the hardened heart, to receive a new heart, a yielding, receptive, open, docile heart? And the church says the answer is contrition. It's by saying, I am sorry. So contrition functions like that remedy for the kidney stone. It has the power to send focused sound waves saying, I'm sorry. It's like sending focused sound waves that will boot against my hardened heart until the impact of those words crushes my hardened heart into minute particles. You see, the, the hardened heart never just softens again. It has to be crushed. Like a, right, a broken, contrite heart, oh God, you will not spurn. Psalm 51, right? So being contrite, being contrite is, is more than just saying words that express contrition, like those words, uh, Psalm 51. And it's, it means more than just feeling sorry for our sins, but it often involves the emotional component. A contrite person comes before God with a clear awareness, a clear awareness of God's majesty and our misery and an attitude of deep humility as well as with actions, words, and deeds that express the sorrow of our soul and our detestation for our sins. So that's really the question, that awareness, the attitude, and the action of contrition. Right? How, how do we go from just saying, I am sorry, to actually being sorry? And the answer is, only confession. And, and really, through the act of confessing. So um, I, I said that authentic contrition is rooted, first of all, in the awareness of who God is and who we are in the light of who God is. So that, that's going to be the humility. So when we see ourselves in a miserable spiritual condition of our own making, um, that can make us detest our own condition, but we're not going to normally see ourselves like that. 
So how do we become enlightened to our true spiritual condition? The answer is that enlightenment comes as a gift from God. Because without God's gift, we won't see our true condition. We won't see it in the proper light. We won't see it in the proper way. We can see and, and feel and sense the spiritual pain in our hearts and realize, okay, something's not right. Something's not good in my life. But we won't have the full and proper perspective until we realize, now listen, God shows us our condition by showing us his condition. Did you get that? God shows us our condition by showing us his condition. In other words, when God reveals his majesty, I become aware of my misery. That's St. Augustine. When I catch even the slightest glimpse of God's infinite holiness and perfect fidelity, I become incredibly aware of my sinfulness and infidelity. And so this, we see this in Scripture, right, in really important, beautiful places. We see the simultaneous manifestation of God's holiness and our sinfulness. God's majesty and our misery. Think Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah comes into the temple and he sees the Lord seated on a throne, the plain of his garment, the, the angels around singing, Holy, holy, holy Lord, all the earth is filled with his glory. The frame of the door shook. And then what does Isaiah say? Remember now, when he doesn't become aware of his condition until he becomes aware of God's condition. He says, woe is me. I am doomed. I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So it's the revelation of God's majesty that gives him the revelation of his misery. Same thing, Luke chapter 5. Simon Peter, miraculous catch of fish, right? Hard at work all night, no fish. Jesus gets in the boat. They go out into the deep, cast his net, and they get this big miraculous catch. It's so big that God's glory is revealed in all of it. And what does Peter do? Simon, he falls down and he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He is not aware that he's a sinful man until he encounters the sinless glorious, majestic Son of God. John the Evangelist in Revelation chapter 1, he is brought up into the heavens. You've heard me tell this story. He turns and he sees Jesus, the glorified risen Lord, like a son of man wearing ankle-length robe, gold sash around his chest, hair of his head was as white as white wool or as snow. His eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were polished like brass, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his hand he held seven stars, a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face shone like the sun at its brightest. That's Jesus. That's the encounter with Jesus. And he falls down as though dead. See, it's the encounter. The encounter with the living Lord that reveals his majesty, his glory, his holiness, and simultaneously our pitiable, poor, spiritually unfaithful, broken condition. It's the, what is it? It's the prodigal son 
He's in the pigsty and he realizes, wait a minute. It says he came to himself. When he came to himself, he realized his true condition. And his true condition was he's in a pigsty. He's wasted his inheritance on sinful living. And not only that, but he realizes, wait a minute, I'm the son who has a father who's amazing, who loves me. And that's when he runs to his father. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Right? So it's it's that that brings about the uh, this true authentic contrition. Okay, so how do we gain the awareness of God's majesty in a way that will reveal our misery? And the answer is ask, seek, knock. See, enlightenment, it's a gift from God. Gaining this kind of light, it's a gift from God. But he has it in store for you. He's ready to give it to you. Now, it doesn't mean you do nothing. You have a part to play, and your part is to dispose yourself, to prepare yourself, to ready yourself, uh, to receive the gift that he's ready to give. Did you hear that? Just like if someone's, uh, you know, oh, you, you're getting a new piano for your house. You got to clear some space for it. You got to make room. You've got to be able to, okay, what door? How are we going to open up the doors to get this thing in and get it? You've got to prepare a space for it, clear a space. And so we've got to clear a space for God's gifts and prepare ourselves to receive the gifts that He intends to give. That He's told us what to do ask, seek, and knock. So please, brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to ask and seek and knock for the gift of the revelation of God's glory in your life. Um, a revelation of his majesty that will lead you to realize the incredible condition of misery you're in, and that will bear the fruit of contrition. The pulverizing of your hardened heart is what's at stake. The Catechism actually quotes St. Augustine on this point. God wills that our desire should be exercised in prayer, that we might be able to receive what he is prepared to give. Did you hear that? God wills that our desire should be exercised in prayer, that we may be able to receive what he is prepared to give. And so God, God's ready to give you this. You can be confident that God wants you to do this because God wants to reveal himself to you and reveal your condition to yourself more than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> He's waiting on your prayer when you're opening your heart to him. And you can ask and seek and knock right now. Begin right now. Ask and seek and knock every day, several times a day. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Lord, I want to see you. Show me your face. Call out to him. Lord, I, I want to begin to hallowed uh, be your name your kingdom come come right now right that awareness of God's majesty and your misery it'll grow gradually maybe or maybe it'll happen in a powerful encounter but that will lead to a whole new level of contrition which can be a transformative impact on the confession that you're going to make maybe today maybe tomorrow but please soon don't let more time go by and missing out on God's great gift to us. God bless your day.